It's Friday night, which means it's time for another episode of the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast. I'm Casey. And I'm Ashley. Last time we talked about the final aired episode of Fairly Odd Parents. We also put out our weekly Twitter poll. And before we get to that, just a quick apology about our uh, lateness with this episode. Uh, It's been a very hectic time, but we are cranking it out. It is Sunday night, actually. (laughs) We're recording this on Sunday night, and I'm just going to plop it in and hope we don't make any mistakes editing-wise. But thank you for bearing with us. Uh, We're still trying to not skip a week, so uh, glad we could get this one in. So yeah, our Twitter poll from last time was, in the Fairly Odd Parents, would you rather have Timmy or Chloe's parents? And you guys voted for Timmy's parents with about two-thirds of the vote, and Chloe's got one-third. I voted for Chloe. I think uh, they seemed more normal, but uh, Timmy's parents would be entertaining, too. Yeah, I kind of was a little surprised by this one. I think it might be that more people know Timmy's parents. Maybe people are just salty about Chloe's existence as a whole. Uh (laughs) Right. But I guess you guys want some weirdly selfish parents, which, I mean, you know, could be fun. (laughs) They sure would be entertaining, at least. (laughs) This week, though, we're getting back to our Avatar The Last Airbender watch. We are on episode eight now, so moving right on along. And this is uh, part two of the winter solstice. We have uh, part two a couple weeks back now, or part one, sorry, a couple weeks back now. Follow us on Twitter at FNN underscore podcast and Facebook, facebook.com slash FNN podcast. You'll get updates there on both of those platforms and review us on Apple Podcasts so others can find the show. And also check out and comment on our YouTube page. And a quick shout out to our listener Norbert at SNorbertD1 on Twitter, who sent us a lovely meme of Ashley and I as moths looking at a lamp. And the lamp is labeled Nicktoon memes. (laughs) (laughs) which I feel called out. I don't know about you, Ashley, but we certainly are like moths. In the way moths are to lamps, we are to Nicktoons memes and memes in general. So thank you for that, Norbert. Yeah, I felt a little called out, but also very understood at the same time, if that that makes sense (laughs) somehow. So, uh, and that's just another reminder in case we don't bring it up enough. Anyone who wants to make us memes, we we appreciate them probably more than we should, but... (laughs) (laughs) With that, thanks so much for tuning in. Now let's get started. From the Nicktoon Animation Studio in Hollywood. Hollywood, 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 Hollywood. All right, this week we are covering the episode Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku. It's from Book 1, Water, Episode 8, and it originally aired on April 15th, 2005. And for this one, Aang travels to the Fire Temple to speak with Avatar Roku on the Winter Solstice. In addition to being chased by Zuko, a Fire Nation blockade led by Zhao attacks them, but does not manage to stop them. Arriving at the temple, Aang is shocked to learn that the five fire sages, which tend the temple, are no longer the Avatar's allies. However, one sage who remains loyal, Shayu, helps Aang to reach the sanctuary where he is to speak with the past Avatar. Roku informs Aang about Sozin's comet, which gave the Fire Nation the power to start the war 100 years prior, and will give them the power again to finish it upon its arrival at Summer's End. 
Aang defeats Zhao, Zuko, and the sages when he manifests the spirit of Roku, who destroys the temple. So, pretty pretty eventful one here, and we, we really get that big framing device of knowing that we're, we're waiting until the end of summer, right? That's that's all the time that Aang has, and it's, it's really a good one. Yeah, it really is. It's probably our most plot-dense episode of the series. And just to do a quick sort of track of where we've been, uh, just keep keeping the arc together of the series, because we're doing this over a long time span, we start out, Katara and Sokka find Aang, uh, Zuko is chasing Aang, Iroh is hanging with Zuko, and uh, Zhao is the antagonist of both parties. Um... They realize Aang needs to learn waterbending, so they are slowly, very slowly making their way to the Northern Water Tribe. They stopped at a bunch of Earth Kingdom cities. Uh, Aang found out that he needs to go to this island in the Fire Nation, and that's where we go in this episode. So just thought I'd catch us up there real quick. (laughs) Yeah, and considering we've only had eight episodes, we really cover a lot of ground really quick. This show puts so much into each of its episodes that we've... We've traveled a good bit and seen a, a good bit of character building throughout these eight episodes. Yeah, and what was cool to me about this episode, maybe it's happened before, but as Aang is flying into the Fire Nation, there's this shot of the horizon and you can see the curvature of the Earth. Sorry, flat earthers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is no flat Earth in at the Avatar series, at least. And it was cool to just see the curvature of their, like, globe and realize, like, oh, this world is so massive, you know? Yeah, it's easy to forget that sometimes, right? Because we only see so much of it, and, like, it's easy to kind of think, like, oh, there's the Fire Nation and the Water Nation and the, you know, like, and just kind of picture them as these four cities kind of a deal. But, no, we've got a lot more stretched out than just, you know, these are, like, entire continents, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's enormous. And yeah, so digging into this episode, um, we start out with Aang not wanting Sokka and Katara to come with him. We saw that last episode a little bit. And Sokka and Katara refuse to let him leave. It looks like they're going to stop him from even leaving. And then we get the classic, you know, without us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And of course, they're supportive as they always are. Um, even though they don't know exactly what they're getting into, this is the first time we're really marching into uh, Fire Nation territory, right? We don't really know what exactly that looks like. We've seen it from, you know, in bits and pieces from the Fire Nation's perspective to some extent. And in flashbacks, yeah. Yeah, but we haven't... Certainly Aang has not stepped foot in Fire Nation ground yet, so it's... And kind of unexpectedly soon, right? Because he was kind of planning on still just getting right over to the you know, the water tribe, and now instead he's he's going to the Fire Nation. And we, we get this sort of interesting situation here where Zuko hits up the village that Aang was just at, gets his location, you know, gets given up. And we have Zuko in a ship, them up in the air, and then they, uh, both sets of them, come across this blockade of Fire Nation ships. And, you know, Zuko is also an enemy of the fire nation still right so we have this sort of weird situation where both both of those are against team avatar and but zuko is still an enemy of the fire nation so we've got sort of like everyone kind of up against each other right there's not really a good like team fight going on here 
Yes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the first time that all three parties are in the same area at the same time. Yeah, I believe so. Like, it's been a game of, like, cat and mouse for all three parties involved. Um, but, well, except for, I guess, Aang is always the mouse. <laughs> Zuko is both the mouse and the cat. <laughs> and Zhao is just the cat. But they're all going after each other, and they're finally in the same space. Yeah, it's... It's kind of intense, and and it's even intense just to see that they have, like, right on the border of the Earth and the Fire Nation, they have just tons of ships at all times, right? Just, because it's not like they were there specifically for the Avatar. This is just kind of their normal state of being, right? They just constantly have this huge military presence. And we we get a couple of things to go on, but they they decide, you know what, we're just going to go through this blockade, and there might be other things that happen in there, but the... The biggest moment that stands out to me is they're they're pelting these like giant fireballs at them, and Aang jumps off of Appa to you know do like a airbending kick to keep one of them away, and it is so cool. It's awesome. Yeah, it's probably the coolest thing Aang has done so far on the show, and he's done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, but he he does it just so like so immediately like there's this literally and it's giant too right we're talking like bigger than him fireball pelted towards him coming full speed and he just leaps off without a second thought kicks it away and it is super satisfying yeah it is and we also find out that Zuko is only 16 through Iroh and I don't know why that blew my mind I don't know how old I thought he was like maybe 25 or something but then there's stuff that happens later on where that would be really weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess it just feels like, given all of the things that have happened to him, it feels like he should be older, or it feels like, you know, just... And we don't have all the details, but for him to be this big of a traitor at all, you feel like he would need to be older than 16, right? Like, because most things that you do as a 16-year-old, they just kind of... You'd imagine... Most nations would just be like, stop it. Stop being an angsty teen over there, right? Not like, you know yeah. what, we're going to banish you completely right, from that's true. everything. You can learn how cruel the Fire Nation, or at least Fire Lord Ozai, is to his children. And to be fair, we'll, we'll learn more about the rest of his family. And like, there are very high expectations in that family, some of which are met, some of which are not, depending on the person. And yeah, it's pretty messed up that he's 16 and has to earn back his respect and his honor. Yeah, it's it's a little wild, to say the least. But given that um, little bit of knowledge there, moral of the story, right, is just that they, they get through it. Is there, is there any other specific moments within the blockade that are particularly important? Well, like, Zuko is just kind of an idiot, like, to the age thing. His youth really shows, because he just makes bad decision after bad decision. It's, Iroh tells him, turn around, you're still on Earth Kingdom soil, or I guess water, and they won't, they can't take you prisoner here. Um, But instead he goes, and then, you know, he just keeps making bad choices. Yeah, and, and we do have Iroh trying to, you know talk him down a little bit and he's not having it and there is a little bit of that sort of wisdom that you can feel from from Iroh here 
And um, then he realizes that, or Iroh explains, like, oh, Zhao isn't, like, going after you because he's using you to get to the Avatar. And Zuko's like, let him. It's like, really? You think you can take this, like, I don't like Zhao. Obviously, he's a horrible guy, but he's one of the most brilliant characters in the show. Like, he is a strategic tactician like he he everything is a moving chess game in his mind and like if Zuko thinks he can outsmart him he's got another thing coming yeah it, I do think that goes back to his his youth thing and, and just kind of he feels like this has to happen and he can't really imagine a way that things go where he's not successful right he has to catch the avatar because that's the only thing he can do to get his honor back so it's it's just gotta happen he's not really thinking things through right he, he doesn't really have a calculated path Right now, his only game plan has basically been find out where the Avatar is and then go there. That's that's really been his only strategizing, right? He doesn't really have a well-thought-out strategy by any means. Nope, it's just, I saw the Avatar and now I must have him. He's like a fish with bait. Yeah, it's it's a little wild, but, you know, we, we get through that. And that's when we, um, when they get to the, the temple, we're introduced to the idea of these sages, right? Yeah. Well, first Sokka falls off Appa. That's true, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> then they catch him. And there's this great little detail where they save Sokka. It's a very scary moment as he falls. Then a fish pops out of the water, hits Sokka in his head, and Momo grabs it, presumably to eat it later. I thought that was such a funny little detail. Yeah, the animators definitely have fun with their, their little things in the background. Um, and add some much-needed levity. It's like one of the few yes. jokes in the episode. I love those brief physical gags to lighten the mood a bit. Yeah, this really is not a... It is a more serious episode. I don't know if I'd say it's a sad one, but it's definitely a serious episode for mm-hmm. for the majority here. Um, but they get to the temple after that, and we're, we're introduced to these sages whose responsibility is to protect this... The fire temple. I forget exactly what the name of it is. But it's, it's a temple that was created for the Avatar specifically. Um, they are aware that Aang is there to communicate with Roku. And it's kind of this interesting thing where t- originally, right, their, their goal was to help the Avatar. But now they're really more about caring about the Fire Nation itself. Because if they were all about helping out the Avatar, they would be okay with Aang communicating with Roku, right? But they are doing everything they can to prevent it, minus the one. Yeah, they're, they've been bought. They've been bought and paid for, and uh, it's disappointing to see, because you see these guys in robes and think like, oh, finally, some good firebenders, because we haven't seen any yet. And Luckily, we still have Shiyu, but the others are total sellouts. Yeah, and and just maybe to just kind of like brought into this whole idea of the Fire Nation is the best one. We don't need the Avatar. We don't need any of this peace garbage going on. They they really just are they're they're not the greatest, and they're they're not doing what they initially were assigned to do, right? Um, yeah, yeah, they're not. But we do get the one the one good guy brings Aang to this door and kind of in a similar way that we had in the air temple there was those uh, sort of horns that Aang would have to you know air bend into to make them them work they have a, a similar thing where they need to get fire bending or five five people fire bending directly into these sort of I don't know they're 
think they're like dragons or something, right? Some kind of mouth-shaped structure. And that is what opens the door. So I do love, again, just that idea of this um, bending specific lock mechanisms that they've invented. Yeah, those keep coming back. It just feels so ancient and cool. You know, it's like the Stonehenge. It's like, how did these ancient societies build these things? Yeah, but it, it is really neat. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just really well thought out, too. Like, I love the idea of them creating these kinds of structures and concepts for the characters to kind of create reasons why he kind of needs to get some cooperation from the Fire Nation here, right? And sort of inadvertently. But we we do get, you know, as as much of a an idiot Sokka often is, like a lot of times he's kind of just the uh, comic relief. He's making his bad jokes and he's being stupid. He does have this smart thought of sort of creating almost little, like, makeshift bombs to put in each of them using some materials from some uh, lanterns that are around. And I, I do want to give him credit, because he does have some some good uh, ingenuity. You know, he does have these this resourcefulness that I think sometimes I don't give him enough credit for. Yeah, and Sokka's kind of earning his keep in a way. He is developing, I think, into like a strategist for the team, because Katara and Aang can lead with bleeding hearts, and sometimes might not see the full picture, and Sokka can fit that puzzle piece and give them a fresh perspective. It's You truly need all three of them. Yeah, and unfortunately, his plan doesn't work. We find out that these explosions, for whatever reason, don't quite, you know, do do enough to make to make this door open up but just you know having having that around as a concept was still useful and also importantly and Katara points this one out so it's it's again one of those team effort things where you realize how much you really do need the whole team when Katara's like well but it looks like we got through and I thought that was kind of a a smart way of making this all work out right because we have this really this impending deadline right the sun is quickly setting we know that they need to get in there as quickly as possible and we have this block of well we need fire nation people to do this how do we how do we get this to happen um and i just thought it was a a good kind of i don't know just good writing to have this sort of tense moment of this panic of well that idea didn't work what are we going to do and katara's sort of ability to not panic and think it through is just really useful You're right, it really is great writing, especially when you think about the scope of this episode, where we come from and where we go. Like, the amount they accomplish in these 20-minute episodes, it's astounding. It really is. It's hard to remember all the time that these aren't hour-length episodes with how much they get done with them. Yes. Yeah, they're very snappy, but they never feel rushed. No, and... So they just they just keep the content coming and we, we do get the the fire nation people you know they fall for it and, and we get this intense fight here too where the sages have opened the door but zuko has gotten into the temple and as soon as the doors open they're like "Aang, now's your chance and we see him restrained and it's actually kind of like this horrifying like he might not be able to get out of this right like he might this might be one obstacle too many and it's 
I don't know, there's just there's just a lot of high stake things here because we don't even know what information he's getting at this point, right? We don't really yeah. know how crucial we're, it is, but we do know that- We're as closed off to the other character as the characters are. Yeah. You know, it's like we're watching it through them behind closed doors. And very often that's true. And I, I think very often they do a really good job of giving us as much information as Aang has, right? Like he's- right. He is figuring all of this out, and we see a lot of his internal struggles. Um, yeah, we're never ahead of them. You're right. It's always we are exactly where the characters are, and they never, like, tease anything. Right. Sometimes we'll have some sort of, you know, we have summative information because we can see Zuko's half of the story and their half of the story. So we do right. have, you know, more information like, than any given character, but... And we're not as naive as Aang. Like, we knew what was going to happen when he arrived at the Southern Air Temple, you know? Yes, that's true. But we're not, we're not given extra intel here, right? We are, mm-hmm. we are figuring things out, and it, and it kind of makes you feel like you're along with him, you know, in, totally. in some way of, like, well, what do we have to do? What is the game plan here? How, how is this going to get worked out? Um, moral of the story, he does end up getting through. He airbends in past the doors in, like, a last-second frantic little bit here. And we, we do get him kind of panicking. He's like, what am I supposed to do? All I could do is airbend. And it turns out that he's just waiting for the light to hit in a specific uh, way. But I did love just that little moment of him being like, I don't know what's happening, right? Like, he wasn't yeah. really given a guidebook on what the Avatar is. And I think, you know, that's got to be so rough knowing, hey, you know that the entirety of saving the world is definitely on your shoulders, but you also have literally mm-hmm. no clue what it is you have to do to do that at all at this point so the light thing is like a zelda dungeon too i know i've said that a million times but <laughs> having to angle it just right you know yes and then, and then once it hits we we get our first introduction to roku um other than i, th- I think you know we've heard him referenced but it's the first time they're really talking to each other and it's amazing um roku is such a good character and it's, it's so interesting to see because we, again, other than this one Fire Nation guy, we haven't really seen a lot of goodness. And, and Roku is clearly intent on helping Aang patch things up, right? He, he is not married to the Fire Nation in the same way that we see a lot of other people. Yeah, he's better. I don't want to get too political about this here. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminds me of a certain situation we're currently in. And it's like thinking back to a... You know, a firebender who I think Aang must be predisposed to be sort of like, well, we are, we cannot meet in the middle. And to have this firebender who's thinking of the greater good because he's the avatar or was the avatar that he's above these sort of, because in a way it's party politics, right? If you're really into the firebending kingdom, like you are choosing your specific tribe over the good of the world so that's why roku is so you know not on board with what his former nation is doing and it's just so refreshing to hear that from a firebender even a dead one yeah but but you know it's it's good to good to see that and he has a lot of intel right he he lived a lot of years he has a lot of understanding and and this is when we find out about the really the main point of of um sort of a timeline here that sozin's comet is coming 
and then it it makes the Fire Nation much stronger. And because of that, they um, they planned an attack a hundred years ago to start the war, and they're basically planning on waiting for it to come again to kind of end it, right? To kind of just win things. And this is our first bit of here's a whole ton of pressure. And we, we get this great line where Aang is like, well, how am I supposed to master all of the elements by summer, right? That is crazy not enough time. Usually, you know, avatars have all sorts of time, years and years to perfect everything. And he says, um, if you have the quote right up yeah, here. Yeah, I do. He says, I know you can do it, Aang, for you have done it before. Which is one of my favorite lines of the whole series. This connection to his past and the whole idea of past lives and the concept of the Avatar in general. It just it gave me chills. So many moments in this scene did. Even the, it's good to see you, Aang, what took you so long? It, of all things, reminded me of Tom Nook the first time you go into his <laughs> shop. And he's like, well, it wasn't in a timely manner, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Beautiful, honestly. Um... Yeah, it's 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 this great great conversation. Um, you could tell again, it, Roku's probably the the closest thing to a real advisor that he's been able to talk to since, right? He he sort mm-hmm. of had his his moment in the Air Temple, but this is the first direct connection to a past Avatar he's had, where he can actually kind of talk out um, really huge, not just in getting that information, but I think really big to kind of just talk to another person who's been through it and. And throughout the scene, too, just the, the, I guess, not camera angles, technically, but, like, they have just this great thing of, like, where we'll see, like, half of Roku's face and then half of Aang's face, and just this connectedness is really well done. Um, yeah, yeah, I just, absolutely. I love the Avatar cycle as a concept. Me, too. And we get a key look into the past here. So the comet is called Sozin's Comet because Fire Lord Sozin originally used it to start the war a hundred years ago. And Fire Lord Sozin is the grandfather of Iroh and the current Fire Lord Ozai. His son, who doesn't get mentioned a ton, is Azulan. Uh, so he was like in between the two Sozin and Ozai was Azulon, and Azulon is Ozai and Iroh's father. You following this? <laughs> <laughs> we got a Just, whole family you know, tree here. I was gonna say a lot of a lot of building that they went through to get all of this historical stuff down. And even the etymology of it, like all the Fire Lord royalty have Z's in their name. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and it does kind of give you this better idea when you hear a name of sort of where where things lie and it just it does have this sort of i don't know you get you get a feel from the names as to sort of what what things are yeah so it was cool to learn about you know sozin and and the comet isn't a coincidence they're not like we should sync up our war with this comet because it's cool and dramatic it it powers their firebending even more which totally makes sense yeah and we'll we'll you know dig into that a bit more as the series goes on but it's it's kind of terrifying because we already know that the fire nation is pretty strong right they right. they've got a pretty good hold on things and the idea of them having a significant power boost of some sort is horrifying to be honest yep absolutely um, and again just the pressure of we're hitting the beginning of winter now and i forgot if it's the end of summer is that when the the comet comes it's on the summer solstice. Okay, so yeah, he's got 
Like six months. Six months to sort this out. Otherwise, basically irreparable damage might happen, right? Because they've already done a lot. But them yeah. having the same power that they had at the beginning of the war could just very well wipe everyone else out. Yep, it wiped out the airbenders last time. Yeah, and it's... And, and you know, Aang's gotta, gotta remember that more than anyone, right? That he's lost to everyone even kind of related to him due to the last the last yep. comment. Now he's got this, this pressure going on, too. Um, yep, he can't let it happen again. And then we have this beautiful moment where it's like, okay, what's gonna happen? Because they're waiting for Aang still, and, you know, Zuko and Zhao are both saying, like, okay, we'll wait for him. And when Aang comes back, we think it's going to be a regular old Avatar state because his eyes light up. And then it's uh, Roku himself takes, or Aang is like, he, he's using Aang's body to like channel his ghost, I guess, and uh, totally destroys the temple. It's amazing. It really is. And, and we get this moment of panic too, where Katara is like, we can't leave without Aang because they don't even realize that, you know, he's been embodied by him they're just kind of mm -hmm. stunned by the fact that avatar roku is back and it's yeah he's just he's just tearing it down um all of these sages basically just make a run for it it does give them this good opening to be able to carry forward and of course we have at any time of the couple of times that we've seen the avatar state right he is completely exhausted afterwards and of course katara and uh Sokka are able to sort of carry him and help him back out but man it is the intensity of the avatar state is still just so wild to watch yeah yeah it's i wonder what those uh sages go on to do because we never see them again to my knowledge i don't like, think so once the temple's blown up do they just go become like hermits on a mountaintop yeah i mean Plus, there's the whole deal of the the one sage that helped the Avatar in. Um, yeah, you know, is he that's, screwed now? That's basically treason or whatever, right? They're yeah. equivalent of. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's just nice to get a good firebender out of Roku. It's sort of like when there's the occasional good Slytherin and you're like, okay, all right, <laughs> they're not all trash. And then we end with the shot. So, like... The winter solstice is the longest night of the year, and we have this shot of the moon. It's enormous, and uh, Appa is flying directly towards it, and it's like a head. It's like we're looking from behind Appa, and we have that do do dee da dee da that sort of music box type music, uh, and the lighting is perfect. It's the three of them just sort of being like, what just happened? And it's... Well, we'll see so many of those as the ending scenes, but they are striking every single time. They just give you this feeling of we're, we're continuing on the journey. It really just makes you want to keep watching. And I, I do like yep. that we've been having it bite by bite. You know, it, it has given me time to process everything. You know, Me we're, too. I'm learning more than I ever have about the series. And it is just such a, such a beautiful way to end up with, with us, just with these stunning backdrops knowing that, you know, we don't really know, and we don't really have immediate next steps, right? We know that he's still planning on getting to the, the Water Nation, of course, because he knows that he needs to, you know, figure out his bending, but it's kind of this this thing where, all right, we've got a timeline now, but we still have to keep doing what we were originally doing, right? So there's still this, this, I don't know, this, this feeling of we need to get there, we need to get it done. It's just that 
if anything, now they have a little bit of a bigger time crunch than they maybe anticipated originally. Right, and just the use of the sun and moon in this show, the way it lights things, the way it's kind of conceptually used, you know, like, the moon is important here because it's at its, I don't I know nothing about the lunar cycle, but the way they made it so big is sort of like, it's like at the beginning of a countdown, you know? It's like, we're on the shortest day of the year, when we get to the longest day of the year, Team Avatar, you better be ready, because it's gonna go down. Yeah, it's... Man, already It's just... Majora's Mask, really, but without the ability to go back to day one. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness there's no no time travel in this, because yikes, that'd be yeah. one more element to keep track of. <laughs> and and no Skull Kid, you know? I can deal with Fire fire Lords, but if Skull, Skull Kid, Kid is... were up in here... Horrifying. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Uh... <laughs> I wouldn't stand a chance, no offense. Or put, a, put them both in Smash and we'll find out. Say Skull Kid... Or the Fire Lord. I don't know. I don't know which one I would I would want to fight less. But oh, there's a good Twitter poll. Uh, it's a little too niche. We'll stick yeah. with the one we already have. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys Majora's Mask out there, so I don't want to. I don't want to get too far like, away from. I'll our... bet it's a solid eighty percent of our listeners. You know, I'd buy it. I'd buy it. But I don't. I don't want you to feel isolated from our poll if you have not. So <laughs> now we should gatekeep them. You should feel so embarrassed if you don't know who Skull Kid is right now. Well, we do know we already knocked out any listener that doesn't play Animal Crossing because we told you that guys is to stop. So, so true. yeah, we did. <laughs> totally messing around, guys. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add before we get over to the bit, Casey? Or no, let's get over to the bit. All right. So in this one, there's a Buddhist chant that's heard for the first time. It's apparently referenced in a few episodes, usually just kind of in the background. Um, Namo Amituo Fo Shindi. Um, the beginning of that Namo roughly means I bow to. And the next uh, part of the phrase is Amituo Fo, which is apparently um, a transliteration of some Sanskrit that roughly translates to infinite light, um, which I won't get into too much, but we do see some sort of uh, bending activities related to light later in the series that this could be related to. And then the last bit of that is also, um, or that, that same bit, Amitabha, is actually a Buddhist monk. And so, so there's sort of a thought that when they wrote this chant in here and when they brought it in here, it kind of parallels Aang's journey, right, of him reaching enlightenment. He starts as just this air nomad and is sort of going across his journey and becoming a fully realized avatar throughout it. Um, so just sort of an interesting tidbit there. Um, technically possible that it's just a chant that they picked just because, but it is specific to the Avatar series, and I thought that was kind of a, a neat little bit of intel there. That's wait, So when does it happen in the show? Um, so I don't know exactly when in this episode i think it's i think it's somewhere when they're first entering the the temple oh, but i don't remember so exactly it's not where. even the sages it's just like a background chant i think so um cool but oh, apparently awesome. we'll hear it a number of times so so keep your your ears peeled because it shows up in i think five episodes it said so maybe something we'll yeah. note as we continue to watch and the the avatar is kind of a buddha like figure yeah and, and that's a connection i never really thought about until now either 
yeah the, and the concept of enlightenment in the spirit world and even like yeah oh that's so cool even the concept of reincarnation yeah the avatar that's true. is really strong and i definitely think they you know probably pulled some of the parallels of that from from buddhism and just just interesting stuff to think about they they really the devil is in the details in this show um, and we, we continue to figure this out as, as we're doing our sort of slower, more thought-through watch-through. But it is just the world-building world is so beautiful throughout. It's just so carefully thought out. They could have phoned in a show like this and made it just like a cheap anime knockoff. And it, there's a reason why it's so respected among all TV circles. Yeah, and, and you know, it was made on Nickelodeon, too, so... Technically, they could have geared this towards just children and not put in the sort of... And I'm not saying that children don't appreciate the details as well, but they they didn't need to go into the level of depth and no. detail that they did. And I'm so glad that they put that effort in. Me too, and Netflix better not mess it up. <laughs> <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm nervous, but... We'll... I you know I have faith knowing that the original creators are involved. I That's think that true. they yeah. I think that they given the amount of effort they put into the original series, they at least desire for it to be true to form. Totally. Shall we head over to that conclusion? Let's do it. Alright, our Twitter poll this week is, does Prince Zuko seem 16 years old? Yes, no he seems older, or no he seems younger. Very curious what people will say, because I totally always thought he was older. Yeah, I pictured him older as well, and and maybe at the time I originally watched this show, 16 was, and I'm tracking back when this is 2005, well, how old was I then? I mean, like, it might have sounded more plausible at the time part of me thinks maybe they did it so that it would feel more relatable to the people watching the show maybe not um, but interested to see your guys's opinions on this anyways next week we are going to be doing a it's a bit of a crossover episode it's a rugrats episode that features for a hot minute Abriel monsters it'll be a little late but it is halloween themed so we still will get that halloween spirit in um i do want to throw out a quick a quick reminder to anybody who hasn't seen it, though, that if you're looking for something to watch on Halloween, the day the world got really screwed up is definitely something you should add to your repertoire. Just throwing yep. it out. I'll be rewatching <laughs> it for sure. I did last year as well. That'll be fun. I love this crossover idea. I think it totally makes sense. And what a great way to do it. Have it be in their storybook or whatever the concept is. You know, it's they're, they're fictional in the Rugrats universe. Yeah, and it's so... It's so funny, too, because they're such completely different worlds, but it works really well. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting to this one, and it's just the right time of year to do it. All right. Well, we got our social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts, so go check all of those out. And with that, thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>